Northern Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host uh, Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We're in the process of trying to catch up with uh, NAACP and CEO President uh, Derek Johnson. In the meantime, we're trying to go and get in touch with our local president, the recently elected Carolyn Riley Payne, uh, who deserved to be uh, re uh, to be elected because she inherited one mess. Uh, I don't have no problem saying that she inherited one mess and uh, took the organization from a deficit to prosperity. And I don't have to tell you about uh, June, July of last year when uh, she was honored for 39 years of service for the Seattle King County branch of the NAACP's Axel program. Over 250 people showed up. So it was just amazing that some people did not even take that into consideration, all of her service and the fact that she took something that was on the downslope and brought it back to the mountaintop. And you would think that that would be enough right there in the African-American community, in the African, the community of African-Americans of, of the descendants of the United States enslaved, you would think that uh, someone would be rewarded for that. And as a matter of fact, I'm singing her praises and uh, Madam President, Carolyn Riley Payne is on the line with us. Hello, Madam President, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you, Eddie, how are you? Okay, well, another one of your NAACP colleagues is my co-host, Hayward Evans. He's and, on the line and, with us, too. And if I can just add to that, she was the president of the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee float in the CFIP parade. She's the queen that won first place for workmanship. So she has been on a roll lately. But uh, I, I have. <laughs> so, you know, Carolyn, uh, a lot of times, you know, like I didn't read the articles in the Times uh about uh, Denise Juno's departure, which is not soon enough. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I was just a little concerned and I also had sent some information to Derek Johnson. We expect him to join us anytime during the program uh, about uh, what actually transpired during, during your election. And I don't think people can, you know, just throw rocks and hide their hands in the black community. We're gonna have to be honest with each other. And it's, uh, it's beyond me, why would the Seattle Urban League sponsor a candidate's forms for the NAACP presidents. I just don't understand that. Or was it because the leaders of the Seattle Urban League were supporting Denise Juno and the NAACP was asking for justice for black people who were being messed over? I mean, how much of a contract do you get when you can ignore that seven top black administrators, black males in the Seattle School District were all forced out by Denise Juno? Now, I have no problem with her sexual preference, but her being a lesbian does not allow her to discriminate against black men. That is totally unacceptable. And uh, to add insult to injury, how come the school board didn't know that she had two DOJ complaints filed for, uh, against her when she was superintendent of public instruction in the state of Montana, filed by two native tribes for discrimination? The school board didn't know that. And I don't know what your feelings are, Madam President, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts are at this point in time. Well, first of all, I don't know why the school board uh, did not know that. Uh, that is one of the things we're going to make sure that doesn't happen this time around, uh, to make sure that uh, whoever is uh, selected, we're going to be, they're going to be vetted very carefully because there is no excuse for us not knowing that they, there were two DOJ complaints. Um, I, you'll have to ask the Urban League why they did what they did. I have no idea. I have not spoken to them uh, about it, so I don't know why, how it happened or why it happened. All I know is that we, um, the Seattle King County 
uh, came out uh, and asked uh, the school board not to renew Juno, Denise Juno's contract and stated our reasons why. And we got a little backlash from uh, some of the people, some of the community because of that, because they said, why would we do that in a pandemic? And we addressed that um, pandemic or not. We need, we still need a, we need a leader that is going to be uh, interested in taking care of our children. And that was not happening. So whether you got a pandemic or not, this, the, our children still more more than ever need to be taken care of. And we need to know that that person who is at their helm has an interest in and understands our community. We could never get any answers from her. And she tried to use that. Um, we were meeting with her, we meaning the NAACP and the Youth Council uh, for the state, uh, the state was meeting with her. That just started, and that had nothing to do with uh, our endorsing her or, or any of those things. We were meeting with her to get to um, the bottom of what, was, what she was going to do in this pandemic. How was she going to do it? Making sure that it was equitable, making sure that, that through the, in, the lens of black folk, um, we were being taken care of, and that was not happening. So I think... Um, her going, I, my question is, what is she going to do differently now that she's not, she's not running? I mean, not, she, she's not going to have a contract extended. She's, not, she's bowing out of the race. What can we expect differently from her? I, I would hope to that she would. her contract uh, from now until June. Uh, should what should we be expecting? We need to stay diligent. Uh, we got to be on that. The community needs to ask questions. Just because she's leaving does not mean that we cannot hold her feet to the fire on her way out of the door. Uh, I think we also have to consider asking the school board because there are a lot of freedom of information requests. Uh, you know, she uh, paid, uh, and what happens is that. Uh, the black males and a lot of people, I don't know why, all of a sudden folks don't want to stand up for black men and be supporting somebody that would emasculate seven black men, all in leadership positions. And I mean, these, they went on to bigger and better things. But uh, for her to say that she's going to reduce people's salary by thirty or $40,000, force them out, and then to actually pay two of these men and have them sign non-disclosure agreements with 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 uh, with, with uh, school district funds. I don't know how some of our black organizations and so-called black leaders can support, uh, you know, and then you're going to create an African-American male achievement program and not interview one black male for the job. So that tells you right there, she is anti-man and especially anti-black male and too many people on the black community sat on the sidelines and supported that. And it's unfortunate, uh, Madam President Carolyn Riley Payne, the people attack you for standing up for black folks. That's really a shame. Well, you know, that goes with the territory. I, what we have to do and what we will continue to do is what we think is the right thing as, as it relates to the black community. We hear from the black community. Uh, we try to make sure that their voices are heard. So we will continue to do what we do, bring, uh, call it out when we see it, do what we can do to work to make to eliminate it. And I guess that goes, take, take the licks with um, the good with the bad. And I guess the licks would be when people um, 
misread or misconstrue on purpose and sometimes exactly what the intent is and what we're doing. I want to see if my co-host Hayward Evans, I think he used to be on your executive committee, but Hayward Evans have any questions or comments for you? Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, Madam President, Carolyn, uh, hmm. has the school board or has anyone approached them about establishing a citizen's advisory committee to assist with the selection of the new superintendent? We have not uh, we have not done that yet, uh, Haywood. But we plan. Uh, I plan to bring that up to my uh, executive committee meeting, uh, executive committee uh, on uh, next week, and so that we can take a position on that and come out and ask for uh, to be in, to be involved in the pro- process. We already put them on notice that we are we are uh, interested in and watching, but we want to be a part of the process. And so we're working with um, Rita Green, uh, who is uh, working uh, with the school board, uh, has been working with the school board, um, to make sure that 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 very thing happens, that we have some, uh, we'll have a seat at the table. And if you think that, uh, you say you said a, a citizen advisory committee. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You need to be there. Somebody from the NAACP and Rita is, is excellent, but you also are a representative of the uh, Martin King County, City of Seattle, NAACP, uh, NAACP chapter, I think, should also be a part of that uh, selection process. And I would encourage the Seattle uh, School Board to look locally. They're always looking all over the nation. There's some good people right here who can fill that position, at least I think that. Including the seven that, that departed under uh, Juno's leadership. There you go. All seven of them could, could be the superintendent. As a matter of fact, uh, I really would think that uh, looking at the egregious actions that have been taken by the superintendent, I really think the school board needs to look at terminating her contract early, pay her, buy her out, and bring somebody in and write this ship. There are too many things wrong and uh, because there probably might be, not be any black men left in the whole school district by the time she's done. And you know what gets me? She could pull a number 45. You see how he's acting with pre- with um, President-elect Biden. What if she starts acting, you know, I know, you, uh, Madam President, you said you're going to be monitoring her activities, but you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. That is true. We'll have to figure out. Uh, we'll have to figure out the best way. To uh, to get on top, to stay on top of what's going on. Since we are not in the district, we're not sitting at the table, and so we don't we don't hear that we're not a part of the conversation. But what Madam President, to- I think we've been joined by uh, uh, President and CEO of NAACP, Derek Johnson. You President Johnson, are you on the line? Okay, I'm on the line. How you doing today? Uh, we've been talking for the last uh, ten minutes with. Uh, the uh, Seattle King County branch president who was just elected after she cleaned up a mess and she still had people messing with her. But Carolyn Riley Payne, the very distinguished leader of the NAACP Axel in this area for 39 years. So your boss is on the line, Carolyn. Hi, Derek. How are you today? <laughs> I, I, I'm good. And Mr. Riley, to refer, he's my boss. I'm working for the members across the country. So I'm glad to join you all in Seattle and I will listen in on some of the conversation, and it's important to keep the voice and advocacy around uh, quality public education for all children. And Seattle is in such a unique place because you're in the shadow of some huge companies. 
uh, uh, and as a result of that, I will hope that those private companies are investing in a workforce that is being groomed right there in the city as opposed to always importing the workforce from around the globe. It's not that that's a bad thing, but it's only bad if you're not including uh, young kids who are growing up and seeking opportunities. And that investment should be in, in programmatic support and curriculum development and in technology because Seattle is one of the leaders around the globe in technology. And if those corporations are not investing and embedding uh, the type of cutting-edge opportunities for young minds, then that's a travesty within itself. Well, Mr. President, let me tell you something. Carolyn Riley Payne is on the board. I'm the chair. Hey, my co-host Hayward Evans is on the advisory committee and our leading grant writer. But we have formed the MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative with the American, uh, with the Indian American community. Uh, uh, Ram Kumar Dixit is like the president. I'm the chair of the board. Carolyn Riley Payne's on the board. Uh, the president of Breakfast Group, Ernie Dunstan. Uh, another gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Dominique Davis, who is uh, runs a community program with helping young men. Uh, and so we, I have a deal that's specifically for uh, descendants, uh, descendants of United States enslaved, and uh, they are planning on getting us, our folks, prepared to participate in the di digital technology. And so we are already uh, in in motion there, and we will be meeting with the tech companies. We also will be partnering with uh, the University of Washington. We're just waiting for that to come out. So I just wanted to throw that in. And uh, President Carolyn Riley Payne is on the board already, sir. But we also yeah, want to hear what, yeah. you, what you and the other leaders had to say to, to President-elect Joseph Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Absolutely. So it was, it was uh, uh, an opportunity for the civil rights organizations to meet with the president and vice president-elect, and it was table setting for us to open up the dialogue now and not wait to after the fact and and have those conversations of what well, we wish we could have, should have, and why didn't we, and begin to advance some recommendations now, respecting the power and authority of the office of the presidency, but also appreciating the fact that, pers that perspective matters. It matters in terms of your policy priorities, your cabinet picks, and the process by which you develop those things. It is you are developing those things in isolation. Uh, the outcome would not benefit our communities. And so we want to table set and open up that dialogue and, and also get the commitment that it would be an ongoing dialogue. And we're not outside of the conversation. We are embedded inside of the conversation. And, and I think we achieved our goal there. And that, that's great. Your leadership has been exemplary, sir. We certainly do appreciate that. You know, in addition to uh, uh, the African-American issue, I think I sent you information about the seven top-ranking blacks and uh, males in the Seattle School District who were kind of forced out. Matter of fact, two of them were paid at sign non-disclosures. But as like uh, ethnic cleansing of black males, uh, there was a after they all the black males left. They started an African-American male achievement program, and not one black male was interviewed for the job. But in addition to that, uh, our Native American brothers and sisters also have been, had the same kind of issues. And this superintendent had two DOJ complaints filed against her when she was a superintendent of public construction in Montana. And uh, she has offered her resignation, but in June, and we think there's a lot of information that hasn't hit the table yet. So. Uh, 
uh, the NAACP, Gerald Hankerson, Carolyn Riley Payne, uh, and Rita Green have really taken the lead. And uh, they took a lot of abuse for standing up for the children uh, because the, the, even the, young, the students uh, feel betrayed by the superintendent. Uh, I, I would like to get, uh, you have a couple more minutes, I'd like to get uh, Sarah Sense Wilson in. Uh, she is a co-founder and executive director of United Native Education Alliance. And uh, Superintendent Juno actually put this Native program out of their building. Eric, do we have Sarah Sense Wilson on? Yes, I'm here. Okay, Sarah, yeah. Uh, you have Carolyn Riley Payne's on who you know, uh, Haywood Evans and uh, NAACP President and CEO uh, uh, Derek Johnson's on. If you could just uh, take a few minutes and let him know your experience and how your program and the other Indian programs were treated by the superintendent in the Seattle School District. Sure, and, and thank you so much for having me on the show again. I I would like to start with just you know acknowledging that you know this is a this is a, a good opportunity for a crossroads with the district. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of hope and, and optimism that the direction of things can can change dramatically to better support and to better serve our students within that public institution. Um, UNEA, we we've been we we are one of the oldest, longest running nonprofit community-based organizations um, serving Indian education in Seattle, and we're going on 13 years. We're a grassroots, you know, nonprofit, community-based, volunteer-led organization, and we we have a, multiple programs, including Clear Sky Native Youth Council, which to date has a 100% advancement in graduation rate for Native students. And um, over a year ago, we um, we were evicted and terminated. The contract agreement was terminated with the Seattle Public Schools under uh, the leadership of the superintendent. And despite appeals and a vast number of letters of support, you know, to reverse that decision, it was under the leadership of the superintendent that um, that that held. Um, held strong and so our organization was essentially um, evicted out of a building that we helped name and that we helped um, support with Native students both there and throughout the district and removing resources from a school that uh, in a district that has historically underserved and targeted um, for disciplinary actions and um, dropout rates being the highest of all groups, it was pretty unfathomable that that and unconscionable that that happened. And especially when there was pressure from the community for that decision to get reversed. And furthermore, um, you know, she's made this. The superintendent has made bad decision after bad decision, and we're really you know, happy that things hopefully are going to change and we're really wanting to work with other CBOs to make sure that whoever is on that short list um, is someone that represents the need, I mean, who understands, number one, what the needs are of our um, various communities 
and that has some background in working, you know, in Seattle to know how complicated and dynamic our our communities are. Okay, well, Sarah, we we're, we're running short on time, but I want to get you in so you can uh, let uh, uh, President Derek Johnson, uh, uh, President and CEO of the NAACP, that. Uh, 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 more than just black people are having problems, but colored people have problems, including the Native American community. Yeah, so thank you very much, Sarah, and I'll be in touch with you after the program so we can yeah, plan absolutely. our strategy. Thank you. Thank you. So okay, much. thank you very much. So uh, uh, I want to ask you, President Johnson, when people call me and they have some kind of, you know, and I tell them to call Carolyn Riley Payne and join the NAACP. I mean, for $30, that's the best investment against discrimination a brother or sister could make. I certainly endorse that. Um, we're we're building, as you know, uh, we're we're rebuilding our um, our um, branch uh, after a little bit of a turbulence, and so people expect us to be there, but they don't want to join and pay the thirty. They want us to do the work for them with, without any efforts on their part. So we encourage everybody. To join the NAACP, that is correct. We are the oldest uh, civil rights organization, and we are in, they are investing in their future. We are we are doing the work for all of us. So uh, I certainly endorse it. I know that uh, I've heard our, our president talk about people, the reason that you need to be a member of the NAACP. So I'll let him say whatever he needs, he wants to say about that, add on to what I said. I mean, absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. If you want to make sure our institutions function properly, if you want an institution to be there when you need it, you should support it when you don't need it. If you want to use a vehicle for our young people to engage, particularly to act so, uh, if you need a voice, as I'm hearing the voices on this radio show, particularly around issues like education, what a beautiful thing to have is an organizational vehicle to voice the concerns on behalf of our young people. What a beautiful thing to have a vehicle for boys when we need to get together to talk about justice and equity. Uh, it is not only when you are in need because of your individual concern, it is a voice so we can talk about the community's concern. And that's the power of NAACP. We exist in 47 states across the country, over 2,200 units with the largest civil rights organization in the nation, the oldest civil rights organization in the nation. And as I am addressing things as it relates to the president of the election and in Congress, we have people such as your local president right there in Seattle addressing concerns, issues, and needs for our young people in Seattle. That's the value of the NAACP. We operate at the exact same time on a local state federal and international level because we're also an NGO to the United Nations. I want to see if Hayward Evans, by the co-host, has a question or comment for you, Mr. President. Yeah, first, uh, thank you, President Johnson, for being here with us. And, you know, again, the MLK uh, Gandhi um, Empowerment Initiative, is, in my opinion, is going to be huge, and, is, and I'm hoping it's something that you can embrace. But also, uh, Ken Fraser, the, the uh, CEO of Merit, on that 110 coalition, what they're doing. And I, it was great hearing him today where he talked about skills first versus credentials. And it's a question of identifying new talent and ensuring career paths, particularly for black folks. And so I just wanted to know, is the NAACP, are they in contact with uh, 
Ken, uh, Ken Frazier over there at Merrick on that we, one. We are in contact delicious. with Ken Frazier. We're also in contact with many other CEOs that's heading up the pharmaceutical industry at, at this moment because of this global health pandemic. And we are, we have been talking to multiple corporate leaders around how to address true uh, racial equity in this moment. Unfortunately, the life of George Floyd uh, created a new conversation across the country around racial justice and racial equity. And so this is the moment that we must seize upon to ensure that the, there are more Ken Frazier's of the world and there are more programs like the one that Ken Frazier is initiating so that we all can celebrate in the diversity that we know is America. You know, what got me, I heard it on, uh, what, uh, CBS This Morning and Gail King during her interview. And she, and she stated that, uh, or he stated that black folks' wealth was only like 4,000, whereas the average white person was 140,000? And if you think about what the meaning of structural racism and uh, what that means, you know, you can, you can really track that wealth gap in home ownership. The number one wealth gap in this country has been the ownership of home. And when we adopted the FHA home mortgage program, it excluded many African-Americans and Latinos and Native Americans from fully participating. In fact, the federal bill that gave the revenue, the resources to individuals to purchase home. They allowed local bankers and development to define who could qualify and who couldn't qualify. There were no credit scores. There were no real me measurement. It was a subjective uh, conversation. And if you walked in there, you looked the right way, they would consider you for a mortgage. And even if they consider you for a mortgage, they will only allow you to use that mortgage in certain neighborhoods. If you was trying to use it in one of the new developments, then they would deny the mortgage. If you was using it in an area that were on a downturn and they knew which communities was going to be going in different directions, they would create a red line around the community. That's why we got redlining, and they yeah. would allow you to purchase that home at an inflated rate, knowing that the value of that home over time was going in, in the opposite direction. So you fast forward some 70-plus years later, you talk about the wealth gap, much of that is based on home ownership and the equity that that was able to mature over time. That's structural racism. Absolutely. Mr. President, uh, I was chair of the Central Seattle Community Council Housing Federation in uh, 1973. We dropped the first redlining report in Seattle and undertook a lot of activities to protest that. So, yeah, it's been detrimental and it's uh, born fruition because it's been a mass exodus of black people around the redlined area of the central area of Seattle. And, so, uh, and, and, what's, and what's fascinating about the, what has taken place, what used to be the redlined area, the black neighborhood, because the value of the property dropped so low, developers then came back in to acquire those properties cheaply or uh, create mechanisms where people lose it for taxes so they can acquire our neighborhoods and the value went up, but we have been pushed out by this time. So, Mr. Brett, I'm going to ask you for our listening audience in terms of a new administration and also uh, this racism that's going to go anywhere. What would you encourage people to do uh, to be, be ready? 
I know joining the NAACP, the Seattle King County branch would be the first, or whoever they're listening would be the first. But, but what would you advise black communities to do to gain uh, economic equity, quality education, and make sure we get the vaccine if it's proven successful for the COVID-19? Well, I think one of the things we as a community must do is plan. Look towards opportunities for growth, uh, and we will be stronger. We, are, we have perfected the art of reacting to the bad things. We, in, in many cases, we can be effective once we line up and we react to the bad thing that's taking place. But with the same level of energy and focus and creativity, how can we collectively get to a place where we're planning for a, a prosperous joint opportunity? None of us can do all of this alone. A few of us may be able to navigate through a system, but if all of us, begin to design an approach and a plan and a strategy, more of us will be able to appreciate the prosperity that our community represents. We are a prosperous people that have not recognized our prosperity. But if we plan and focus and understand that the quality of an education determines the quality of the, va the value of the home prices in the same neighborhood, that if a school district is doing well, the home value go up. If a school building is the center of a community, building support from that community maintains the value in the homes, which increases the equity in the home, which increases the wealth. But our dollar, we cannot go to old strategies to leverage our collective dollars. Let's look at new ways we can leverage our collective dollars. We are masters in the kitchen, culinary arts. But we have not perfected the ability to manage and market long-standing African-American restaurants. And everyone loves our food. So there are Mr. many President, things that, from community by community that is all about planning so we can protect. Yeah, Mr. President, uh, you know, in, in 1998, they passed an initiative that removed affirmative action from Washington State. And I don't know what your time is like, but uh, st former state representative Jesse, uh, Jesse Weinberry who was uh, sponsored a couple of initiatives. If you got just enough time to say hi to him, I certainly would appreciate it. Jesse Weinberg, you on the line? Yes, I am, Eddie. Uh, we, our president and CEO, Derek Johnson, Hayward Evans, and Carolyn Riley Payne are all on with you. So uh, we were supposed to take a break, but I want to make sure uh, you just gave him, a, if you got a couple of minutes, more minutes, Mr. President, about two more minutes, and I got to come on the next call. So I'll, okay, I just I'll, want I want yeah. Jesse Weinberry to explain to you where we are. A two-minute uh, shot, Jesse, and where we're trying to get in Washington State. Now, President Johnson, Carol Riley Payne uh, are two of the leaders of, of both NAACP nationally and locally that have supported us in our fight. We are now in the third round, and I and I predict it'll be the final round to bring affirmative action back to Washington State, as well as ban the chokehold, as well as make sure our people are not left out of line for the vaccines. And so President Johnson has uh, been working with us. He endorsed I-1000. It's not much different this time, except now the number is I-1300. And we are gathering signatures with the help and support of the NAACP and Carol Riley Payne as president of the local branch to bring this to the legislature this year. Well, President Johnson, I want to thank you for your time today. President Payne, thank you for your leadership, not only as branch president, but your long standing 
support of AXO. And, and Mr. Wright, anytime you call, you know I'll do my level best to uh, to join you. And if you can't get me, you know to call Gene. Yeah, I got Mr. And, Mr. Brown. I got Dr. I, Brown down here. We certainly appreciate you, sir. Thank you for your time today. I'm sure all our right. listeners got a chance to, to enjoy what thank you had you, to Darren. say today. All right. Thank okay. you all. You all so have a wonderful Carol Riley Payne, thank you very much, too. So, Jesse, hold on. We're going to take a quick break and come right. Thank y'all. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. Hayward Evans and Eddie Ride back at Urban Forum Northwest had a very nice conversation with uh, NAACP President CEO Derek Johnson, along with uh, NAACP President, Seattle Branch President, Carolyn Riley Payne and Sarah Sutz Wilson, uh, the co-founder and executive director of the Urban Native Education Alliance. Uh, Jesse, we're going to be joined shortly by Lynn French and Monet Carter Mixon, uh, who is the sister of uh, Manuel Ellis, who died at the hands of uh, the Tacoma police, and a medical examiner ruled it a a uh, homicide. And uh, uh, you've taken that tragedy and it turned it into something that's going to be aspirational. So why don't you uh, just take a minute and just talk about how that came about, and we'll be joined by Lynn and Monet as long as they, as soon as they get on. Well, first of all, thank you, Eddie, for having me on and and uh, and also uh, supporting uh, the initiative, which is I thirteen hundred, which is the um, the successor to I-1000. Uh, I-1300 evolved uh, under a, a, a lens of 2020, just like I-1000 was born under the lens of 2019. So when you look at the lens, through, look at our society through the lens of 2020, 
you 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 have to uh, look at uh, uh, public health and public safety, as well as public education, public employment, and public contracting, and so they are all now uh, combined together and unified under the I-1300 Manual Ellis Washington Anti-Discrimination Act. And the uh, Eric, have we been joined by Lynn French and Monet Carter uh, Mixon? Okay. So we're waiting for them to come. Go, so I'm sorry, Jesse, go right ahead. And so, and so what you have is an opportunity to sign your name uh, to an initiative that will go to the legislature that bans uh, the chokehold, that demands uh, that no one is left out of the distribution and allocation of the COVID-19 vaccines, and that uh, reinstates affirmative action, and equality and equity and diversity and inclusion in Washington State. And so we encourage people to go to the website, which is i1300manualellis.com, sign your name so that we can turn those signatures in like we did before in a victorious celebration on New Year's Eve, which this year is the deadline. And we'll, I guess we'll hear from Lynn and uh, Monet when they call in about how people can uh, get the petitions and uh, uh, they have to be submitted, you say, by by the uh, New Year's Eve. So what is the process uh, electronically? Can they go somewhere and find the petitions? How many people can sign? What are we, what are we looking at? What are the challenges? Well, it, we're, we're, doing, we're doing the safely sign I-1300 Manual Ellis campaign and what that means in the, in the world of COVID-19 is that you go to the website, you click on sign your name, uh, you're able to uh, uh, sign up for uh, a, a petition. The petition is delivered to you in your inbox. <laughs> you're able to print it out and sign it. So nobody has to be chased down in a parking lot or wait in line uh, at the store to sign this petition. Uh, We've been joined by uh, Lynn French and Monet Carter-Mixon. I uh, want to adjust, Jesse Weinberg is on already. I uh, want to welcome uh, Lynn French, who is a prime sponsor of Initiative 1300. And I know that uh, I've seen and heard uh, Ms. Monet uh, Carter-Mixon. want to welcome both of you. And I really would like to start uh, with uh, Ms. Monet uh, and the sister of Manuel Ellis to just uh, have a few uh, to make some comments, and then we'll go to the, the strategist. We'll go to Lynn French after her. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, ma'am, and go right ahead and share with our listeners uh, your sentiments and how things are going right now. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I actually wanted to have Dr. French go first to give you, and everyone, um, just more information about the initiative within itself. Okay, okay. We, we can do that. Go ahead, uh, cool. Attorney Lynn French. Okay. Uh, hi, Eddie, and hi to all of the members of the panel and and Jesse. Um, I just wanted to do a brief summary, and Jesse has already touched on some of this uh, from his earlier comments, but there are five major areas in Initiative 1300 that we're seeking to establish state law to prevent discrimination. And unlike I-1000, we're not talking about affirmative action. We're talking about the underlying cause of discrimination, which is racism, as we all know. And we want to make sure that there are laws in place to prevent discrimination in public health and safety, public education, public employment, and public contracting. 
these things we can embellish and talk about in more detail, and, and Jesse has already touched on some of that. But one thing I want to point out before Monet comes in next is we've lost about $3.8 billion and that would have come to African-American contractors since the, since the establishment of I-200. We need to reverse that. That's $3.8 billion in our community uh, where we have suffered economically to the, the extent that our presence, even in the Central District of Seattle, has been minimized from 70% African-American residents to less than 17%. Uh, African-American residents today. So I'm just going to say this is a very important measure, and we need the full support of the community. And uh, what's special about this is what Manet is going to talk to you about next. Go ahead, Manet. Go right ahead. Yeah, so like um, Dr. French said, um, this is really important um, for me, but also for my family as well, just because, um, you know, in this initiative, it really touches on um, discrimination, but also um, the use of chokeholds. Um, my brother was murdered by the Tacoma Police Department, um, and his um, death was ruled a homicide. Um, he lacked oxygen to his brain, which means he was deprived of a basic human right to be able to breathe. Um, and he tried his hardest to tell the officers that he couldn't breathe, but they still continued to restrict his airway, um, which is what led to his untimely death. Um, so it's really important that um, we can get all of the signatures needed um, just because people of color, people in the BIPOC community, their rights are being taken away slowly one by one. Um, so if if we could just add something in there in regards to police brutality, um, it's a start. It's not going to be, you know, a full list of accountability measures for law enforcement, but this is a start. Um, and it's really, it's really important because my brother's no longer here, so I can't save him. But I um, am making it my life's work to be able to save anyone else um, because I don't want this to happen again ever to anybody in my community or here in the state and i'm concerned that it will happen again um so i really urge everyone to really uh, look up the initiative um and you know help us get the signature sign the petition um this is really important for myself and for my family so yeah what i want to say is monia as events come up uh this this platform will be here for you as well as Jesse and, and uh, Lynn French as well. So uh, I want to make sure that, you know, uh, you do have this platform when things come up. I don't have as much time as I would like to have today, but, uh, you know, we'll keep something on uh, the, the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have uh, you or Lynn or somebody on to talk about the urgency of getting these initiatives out. So I want to thank all of you today for all your work. Sorry we didn't have as much time as as we needed, but uh, Monet, like I said, uh, Lynn uh, has, and Jesse both have my contact information. And I think Jesse sent, sent me your information. But if you have any events coming up about uh, justice for your brother or anyone else, please please feel free to let me know so we can share it with our listeners, okay? 
I will. And thank you so much for having me. And I'm always open to come and talk more about my brother or any other events. So thank you again. Okay. Just let us know when they come about and you have a, a platform to exercise. Okay. 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 Thank, thank you, you uh, Attorney Jesse, Attorney Lynn, and Monet. Uh, we'll be talking with you real soon. So we're going to take a okay. quick break and come back with uh, Clyde Merriweather. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, hey, with Evans and Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest with our next guest. Before we go to Clyde Merriweather, I want to give a shout out to the Port of Seattle's uh, uh, Diversity Contracting Office with, with me and Rice, uh, Sound Transit's Office of Labor Compliance with Leslie uh, Jones, uh, the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office, Liz Alzier, SeaTac uh, Bar Group LLC, Concourse Concessions, and Stephanie Ogle does our technology and our next guest has been a long-time critic and a critiquer of uh, the Seattle School Superintendent, Denise Juno, and he's had several column op-ed pieces in the Seattle Medium, and that's Clyde Merriweather. So, Clyde, how you doing? I'm doing fine, my brother, doing fine. So what are the latest developments? Well, as you know, Juno has put in her letter for uh, not continuing, and I think that was following up a board's determination that they probably wouldn't be continuing a contract. But um, for me, it's, it's a matter of that just uh, the cork in the bottle. That, that's not addressing the issues in the Seattle School District so much as opening up the opportunity to get somebody in that will address the, the issues. So I'm still on the same, uh, I got some systemic issues as relates to what I think is racism in the community, and that goes from the administration all the way down to uh, the custodial department. And uh, once again, I'm still going through with the uh, Department for uh, Freedom of Information, trying to track various and sundry information pertaining to uh, 
how all these things came to be. So I've got questions in on any settlement agreements and termination letters, any disciplinary documents from the employee's labor file, uh, investigations, outcome letters, employees, uh, labor files, just on and on and on, and, and don't have my report back yet, but uh, scheduled to get at least my preliminary report in on the 29th of December, where I really have something to say. So uh, I'm still championing those uh, seven gentlemen that were uh, terminated, just trying to find cause through finance or otherwise leveraging out, out of the neighborhood. So, And then trying to, at the same time, make sure that uh, when we talk about the, the good numbers in the Seattle School District for minority hirings, that people understand that hiring people at lower levels is not the equivalent of getting rid of people at top levels at the same time. So that's what I'm doing. Well, I mean, that's that's a handful. Uh, I want to get your opinion about what is the benefit of uh, Denise Juno staying here to June? Uh, well, it depends. Uh, if, if it's about contractual issues and, you know, we've already paid for this, if you will. So we'll just let that go ahead and ride. That doesn't address my concerns, which is the employees, the status, and the students of the school district. The problems are now to sort of sitting around waiting for another six months to address the problems is uh, sort of counterproductive to what I'm trying to get to. Uh, much like a, a football coach that's got a losing team, <laughs> you can keep them or you can get somebody in that might change the season around. So I'm, I'm looking for a seasonal change. And uh, I have a Freedom of Information request uh, in as well uh, to the Seattle School District. And uh, it was uh, I got a response from Brandon Hershey, who now is the vice president of the mm -hmm. Seattle School Board, but I'm still at a, at a loss to find out. Uh, I guess Leslie Harris was uh, the person that was so gung ho for uh, Denise Juno. Uh, mm -hmm. She wanted Denise Juno so bad that she did not do her due diligence, or the board didn't. They did not know about the DOJ complaints filed by two Native tribes in Montana while she was uh, the superintendent of the Office of Public Instruction for the state of Montana. They did not know that. Seems to me that's glaring. If those kind of that information could find its way to uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times, those articles, I do. If anybody want a copy, I have them. You know, it's just amazing uh, unless they made a promise that okay, we're gonna hire you. We know you had these these discrimination problems, and then she comes right to the CL School District, terminate all the black men, force them out. Okay, and uh, and so I mean, want to get rid of them so bad that you pay them and have them sign on disclosure. So that, that was know, also... That, that's some of the information I'm trying to track down for, for the validity of and And I do have a, a case study uh, or file that's actually open with uh, Freedom of Information. So hopefully I can find some of that information. But the, uh, the old board, if you will, the board that was configured when Juno was hired, how they went about their vetting process and what their motivations were, I can't speak to that. I, I am pleased with the... Uh, the change of leadership on the board of directors and the fact that their statements are coming out that they plan on being much more actively involved in directing a supervisor as opposed to just being a, a co-signer for, for, for what pops up. I'm also pleased that um, Brandon Hersey is the vice president uh, of the board, vice chair of the board. Uh, he's the new kid on the block, but he is the only person. I, when I initially started my process, I started off with writing a letter to the board and a, and a letter to Denise Juno to just discuss these issues. And the only person that did respond to me was Brandon Hersey. So, so I'm, I'm glad to see that they've given him the respect. He was an appointed to to the board, but uh, Place Betty like part two, remember. Right? Yeah. Before we run out of time, I want to see if my co-host Hayward Evans has any comment or question. 
At first, it's good hearing you, uh, Clyde, and good having you here today. I guess my question, I'm going to go back to the Freedom of Information. Did they give you a date that they're going to be uh, 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 providing this information to you? Yeah, my uh, preliminary date is the 29th of this month. Okay. So post-Christmas. So just me as, as, a, as a, a person who likes to be aware about these activities in the community, I'm looking forward to you receiving it. I will be the first to, uh, whatever I find out, I'll make public. But going going back to that question that Eddie raised, so Mm -hmm. what do you think about them just maintaining their contract? I think they should just terminate it. Look, if you got a buyout or a contract, like I said, for a football coach that's not performing, you buy it out and you address the problem. We're we're in the middle of a COVID problem and and an educational problem and a falling back problem and, and a lack of community contact problem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I know, I know there's two lawsuits out here right now that are already working, and they're working on a brief or a third lawsuit for another gentleman. I've got all these problems as it relates to hiring practices down the road, i.e. the custodial department that I'm going to write about. So, yeah, if you want to fix the problems, you know you got the problems. Fix the problems now. Why am I waiting six months? I don't know. Has the school board or anybody talked to the, uh, the quote, black educators? About their concerns as a collective? Uh, I, I can't testify to that. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll have to ask the actual black educators. I do know, uh, for those that I've talked to, uh, nobody from the top has come down to ask them their opinion. You know, in some respects, I, I've been writing about what I call the uh, nepotism and cronyism within the school district. Just like, you know, when, when Eddie's talking about, well, they really wanted her bad. Well, it seems who they want to hire in positions is preordained, and then they pretend to do interviews. I've got, I've got a gentleman who's, who's put, submitted for, for 10 upgrades in his position. He can't even get an interview. He's black, you know, so... So I, I, I don't know what they've done in terms of talking to the teachers directly, but, but I just keep getting more and more complaints, and that's what got me involved. Well, Clyde, we'll be looking forward to your next update. I'm waiting on my uh, response, uh, Freedom of Information request, which is due January 8th, and I just had four questions. One was the name of the black males Juno interviewed for the African-American Male Achievement Program, a copy mm-hmm. of the payments made, and the copies of the non-disclosures, and the board's knowledge of the two DOJ complaints. But if we were out of time, so anyway, Clyde, very well, thank you very much. If something comes up within the next week, give us a call. There's a school board meeting on uh, next Wednesday at three o'clock. Sign up to voice your concerns. So Eddie Ryan Haywood Evans with another edition of Bourbon Forum Northwest. We'll talk to you again next Thursday.